going to be reading from Hebrews chapter 1, just verse 3 this week. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Heavenly Father, we ask this morning that You would attend to Your Word, put it in our hearts, and lead us, Lord, to see Jesus Christ, our Savior, as He is, our great priest and our great King. Change our hearts to love Him more, to honor Him more, to obey Him more, to worship Him more, to sacrifice more for the sake of His kingdom. That would be our treasure, that would be our delight, is to live more freely, more joyfully, for the sake of His kingdom, not just our own. So please have your way in our hearts this morning and lead us, Father, to yield to Christ. We ask it in His name. Amen. So last week we started a new book. Uh, That's where we're going to be in the months to come, a book that emphasizes the person and work of Jesus in a very powerful way. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. Two aspects of who He is for us, His church, and that is our priest and our King. And I do believe that we will spend an eternity continuing to learn about the wonders of our God. There will not be a moment of time in eons future while we're in heaven where we're going to think to ourselves that we know everything that there is to know about the Lord. And in saying that, I do admit that I don't know all that we'll be learning there, what exactly what we will be in awe of that we don't currently understand. I just know that God is infinite. He's infinite in His existence. He always has been. He always will be. So He's infinite in His existence, but He's also infinite in His perfections. They never run out. All of His um, many, as the Bible would say, manifold perfections. So many other ways that we currently even realize right now, we are going to be learning about those forever. And so I can't imagine that there will be a time when we will exhaust all that there is to know about Him. For example, if you were to ask the Lord sometime while you're there underneath some shade tree, God, what were you doing before you made the world? What were you up to? Do you think that you'd get an answer like we often give when somebody asks us, you know, like, hey, what have you been up to lately? And we say, oh, nothing. We're going to say that? We're going to hear that? I don't think that you're going to be told, oh, nothing from God. He was certainly up to something before He made the world. What was he doing? Was our world the first world that he ever made? Or were there billions of worlds before? And if so, what about beings? Where did the angels come from? Did they inhabit one of those worlds? Maybe God will explode our concept of time and space. He created time and he created space, did he not? 
Maybe we won't think quite the same way about those things anymore. Maybe He'll open up our minds to some new realities. I think that's probably going to be the case. All of that to say is that we will always be in awe of our God. We will never cease to worship Him. He's going to reveal things to us that we cannot currently comprehend. We will spend eternity saying, Oh, that is so good. And my hope as we start this book that we call Hebrews is that our minds and our hearts are going to be led into something of that awe right here, right now, as we scratch the surface of the magnificence of our God and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what I want for myself as I read and think on Hebrews. Show me my Savior. God, show me what He has done. Grow my heart in love for Him. Lead me to truly worship Him as I see Him in this book. As you'll see, the author definitely wants to see the obedience to Christ from this church that he is writing to. He wants their obedience, though, to flow out of love and adoration to the One who is greater than anything else. And so last week we left off in verse 3. And I read a portion of that today, verse 3, where it's made plain that Jesus, that He is the Son of God. And by being the Son of God, He is God. He's the radiance, we're told, of the glory of God. He's the exact imprint of God's nature. And so there is not anything that God is that the Son is not. So whatever you see about God, whether it's His goodness or His sovereignty or His love, anything that you can say about God, you can say about the Son. He came to make God seen to the world. He came to make God visible to all that He has made. And now we're told He sustains everything that He has made by His Word. So not only did He create it, make it, He now sustains it by the same Word of power that He made the world with. So the ones in the first century, these people who, many of them that He was writing to, maybe, maybe some of these people saw Jesus literally with their eyes. They could truly say as they saw Him that they had seen God. People today, they get excited when they've seen B-list celebrities in public somewhere. Have any of you all ever seen somebody that's mildly famous? I know Carol has up here. You can ask her about that afterwards. We got a nice picture of her with a... I don't think he's even a B-list celebrity. He's probably a full-fledged celebrity. But when you've seen somebody like that or you've been with somebody like that, don't you, don't you tell people about it? Like, oh, you don't believe who I saw last week. You know, the backup left guard for the Buffalo Bills, you know. It's like most people wouldn't even know who that was. But here are these people. Some of these people back in the first century, for sure, so many people saw Jesus. And they could say, I saw God last year. He came to my village. That's what he's making clear here is that Jesus is the Son of God. He is God. He was the creator of the world and he sustains it. He's come to make God visible. Look at the last sentence there in verse 3. 
The last section there. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. We're being told here in a very brief, succinct way that the eternal God who made the world, Jesus, that He has done something here on earth. He accomplished something while He was here that led to His exaltation in heaven. A kind of exaltation, it seems, that He did not have the same way before He came to earth. That's pretty profound. Jesus, when He came to earth, accomplished something and received, when He went to heaven, a kind of exaltation that He did not have before He came to earth. And I want to be careful with what I say here because I don't have a clear picture in Scripture of all the heavenly arrangements that were there before the Son of God came to earth, but I can't help but see that what He accomplished for us has given Him a kind of honor that He did not have before. And so what was it, we're told, that brought Him this honor? What did He accomplish when He was here that gave Him this place of exaltation? So we get the short form there in verse 3. We're told that He made purification for sins. That's the summary of Jesus' earthly work. That's what He came to do. He left heaven for earth to do the work of a priest. That's what Jesus came to do. And that's just an introduction to this particular theme, the theme of priesthood. And this book that we're in unfolds Jesus' priestly work like nothing else in the New Testament does. What we're being introduced here is that something happens by the priestly work of the Son of God that changes His status forever. He accomplishes something that changes His status forever. So when we think of the cross, when you and I are thinking about the cross, from whose perspective do we look at it from? Whose perspective are we viewing the cross from? And some, It's from our vantage point as sinners, of course, right? At least most naturally, that's the way that we look at it. The people who need purification and get it by Jesus' blood, we're thinking, when we see the cross, we're thinking about how it impacts me. What Jesus has done for me. But what the Bible gives us is information that what He did impacted Him too. So what He accomplished there at the cross impacted Him as well. I want you to think about this truth. By coming into the world to save human beings from the judgment of God, Jesus took on form. He took on form. He was always an eternal spirit, an infinity past. Just as God the Father and God the Spirit always were and still are, but the moment that the Spirit of God caused Jesus to be con con conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary, 
he would always, from that point forward, have a body. Never had before, never had any form, any shape, but from that point forward, he would always, forever, into the future, always would have a body. When God chose to save humanity, when the Trinity planned this way back when, before the world was made, it was decided that the Son would take shape and have a form and appearance like those that He had made. So He wasn't just going to create the world. He had decided that He was going to enter the world and always have appearance. He'd never had that before. So in that way, coming for the salvation of sinners would impact Jesus forever. But more than that, something else happens here that gives him a name and a title that he had not had before. So after coming and making purifications for sins, with his blood at the cross, as a sacrifice, as a priest... After that, he was raised from the dead. He spent 40 days with his disciples in a new body, a heavenly body. And then Jesus did what? He ascended into heaven. We often talk about that, don't we? It's part of kind of the, um, the formula that we use. Jesus, you know, he was born, he died, he raised, and then he ascended. So Jesus ascended into heaven. This is an aspect of Jesus' life that I do believe that we as evangelicals often overlook or spend very little time on. We make mention of the ascension, but we don't talk about its meaning other than Jesus went back to heaven where he came from. So he came, accomplished what he had to come and do, and then he just went back. But it's not that simple. Jesus came... He did His work of purification and obedience to the Father and out of love for us. And when He ascended, we are told that He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Short phrase. But He wants us to see something that took place in the life of Jesus, something that had not happened before, something that Jesus did not have before He came to earth and what took place there at that moment of His ascension was Jesus was coronated as a king, if that's a word, coronated. He had His coronation day. The ascension was Jesus' coronation as king. Over the last couple of weeks, much of the Western world has had its eyes on what? Something across the pond. Had its eyes fixed on England with the passing of Queen Elizabeth II. She was the longest reigning monarch in the history of that nation. She reigned for 70 years. Maybe you saw some of the pictures, maybe some of the video. Some of you all might have watched some of that on TV of the funeral. The pomp and the pageantry and everything that's associated with royalty. And that made me wonder when the coronation of King Charles III would take place. I figured it had to be right around the corner, but no, it's not. Tradition dictates that the coronation of the new monarch has to take place in the year after the previous one dies. 
And so it's going to be some time before we'll have our eyes fixed on that day. But why is it that so many people are interested in all things royalty? To some, it might certainly seem like such a silly show of prestige, but maybe there's something deeper in the human psyche that causes our race to focus on such things. Maybe it's because we have been created to live under a great king. Maybe there's something in us that understands that there is supposed to be a great king that rules over us and then causes us to want to pay attention to all these lesser kings. And that day that Jesus ascended into heaven, that was not just merely the time when He was going to just go back to His world where He came from. He came and tidied up everything here and then just went back to where He was before. No, Jesus' ascension was His coronation as King. He was going into the courts of heaven to establish His forever rule, His eternal rule. Most of us have never, have never seen the coronation of a king or a queen. And Queen, Vic, uh, queen Elizabeth's big day was June of 1953. I think most of us have probably didn't see that. Some of you all probably did watch that if you were alive back then. But we have seen all the fuss of lots of weddings and lots of funerals, have we not? Now, we don't have any explicit scriptural support of this that I know of for what I'm about to say, but I have to imagine that there was a tremendous celebration on the day when Jesus ascended to the throne at the right hand of the majesty on high to assume the place of king that he did not have before the world was made. Can you imagine the celebration? I was thinking this week about you know, how all the angels of heaven and how there's a, basically a party in heaven every time one sinner down here repents. Massive celebration. Exclamation in heaven. Sinners repenting and turning to the Lord. But can you imagine on the day when Jesus came into heaven, those heavenly courts filled with angels in all of their glory, and He sits down at the right hand. It was done. All of it accomplished. Everything that He had come to do, and He received the exaltation that was His due that day in heaven. Amazing. Now, we haven't gotten to see that. One day we will. That's what the ascension was. Jesus coming into heaven as that great king, screaming out his name. It was done. Behold the lamb and behold the king. Hmm. He did not sit on that throne before he left heaven for earth. How did he achieve it? How did he gain that throne? How did it become his? First, by becoming a man descended from David. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus had no glory before he came on earth. We know that's the case. He says in his great high priestly prayer, you know, Father, he's looking forward to that glory that I had with you before the worlds were made. So he was glorified, he was glorious, he was God. But what I'm saying is, is there's a type of honor that he did not have before. 
as he took the throne as the great king. He had to become a man descended from David to assume that place, to have that particular throne. And so all of those Old Testament prophecies about David's son, the coming of the king, the great coming of the Messiah, they all pointed to Jesus and the day that he would sit on this throne. And we've not gotten there yet, but verse 5 gives us a fragment of that promise from 2 Samuel chapter 7. And so I'll just read a bit of it, a bit more than what we have there. 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 14. God makes this promise to David. And this is when David is repenting of his sin. The sin that he had with, with Bathsheba. He's been, he's been approached by Nathan the prophet and he repents, and God says to him, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Now we do know, don't we, that he is talking about Solomon here in the short term. Solomon was going to come and rule on a mighty throne, and he was going to have peace in his kingdom forever, and he was going to build the house of God. And God says, I'll call him a son to me, and I'll be a father. But who is it that God is ultimately talking about here in this passage? He's talking about Jesus. And he's talking about a kingship and a throne that will never come to an end. And he's talking about a son that he knows more intimately than any other. His own son, Jesus Christ. That's who he is talking about here. And he's, Jesus will be descended from David. And he was, was he not? He's a son of God on his throne forever and ever. And so this promise that God is making in 2 Samuel 7. Jesus received the fullness of that promise that day at His ascension when He took up that throne in the presence of all the hosts of heaven. He had to first become a man, a man, human being, in the womb of David's descendants, live in perfect obedience to His heavenly Father, suffer, die, defeating the devil and sin. All of that priestly work that's mentioned there in verse 3 by just saying, after making purification for sins, all of that is included there. He came and accomplished all of that. So He could say there at the cross, it is finished. I've done it. And then he received a resurrection body. He taught his disciples what they needed to know to advance his kingdom when he left. And then having completed everything that he had come to do, he entered heaven to sit on his throne. So when we say that Jesus is king, he really is. He is a king. Every day after that ascension and coronation took place, Jesus has ruled from His throne at the right hand of the majesty on high. There has never been a day since then when He has not ruled as King. He rules the world, all that is in it, everything that we cannot see in galaxies distant, stars, planets, all of it He rules and sustains it by the power of His Word. And His kingdom will have no 
end. And we are just scratching the surface of our Savior here in just some short phrases. And it is beautiful because He is beautiful. We're going to learn more and more about Him in eternity future. But we have so much that we can learn before we get there, and the Word of God would have us do so. So this sermon, it does not have an application that tells you how to better love your wife or how to fix your finances or how to rid yourself of your covetous heart. Or maybe it does. Because when we start to see Jesus with more clarity and give Him the honor and the love that He truly does deserve, all sorts of things start to get transformed in our hearts and then in everyday life. So I commend these things to you for your reflection. Think on these things about the majestic nature of the Son of God who right now truly does look down from heaven, see everyone in this room. We are His grateful subjects. And we desire to give Him the praise, the worship, and the honor that He deserves, the honor that He received when He took up His throne. And may He truly have the throne room inside our hearts and reign there just as He reigns from heaven. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are grateful today that we have a Savior like Jesus. We thank You for all that He came to do. I pray, God, that it is very real in the hearts of the people who are here, very personal. He came to do the work of a priest. And what do priests do? They offer up sacrifices. What sacrifice did the Lord Jesus offer up? Himself. He came to obey in our place. He came to die in our place. I pray, God, that that is a personal thing to every person in this room. We thank you for a priest like Jesus. And then after making purification for sins, the Lord Jesus ascended into the heavenly realms in the courtroom of the king or the court place of a king. Glory, honor are given to him And He has received the name that is above all names, that at the name of the Lord Jesus, every knee will bow because of what He has come to do. And so God, we pray that every knee and every heart in this place would bow to King Jesus gratefully, thankfully, singing His praises in our hearts Overwhelm us with the love that you have for sinners and the place that you have given us in heaven with him. What an inheritance we have with our king. We do not deserve it, but he's won it for us. 
So Lord, please give us eyes to see these things and to rejoice in these things as we close our time of worship today. And we ask it in the name of King Jesus. Amen.